0: Hunt is uniquely trained and highly motivated. A specialist without equal, immune to any countermeasures. There is no secret he cannot extract, no security he cannot breach, no person he cannot become. He has most likely anticipated this very conversation and is waiting to strike in whatever direction we move. Sir, Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny, and he has made you his mission.
1: Welcome everybody to the Monthly Movie Dispatch. We get together every month and talk about what movies we've seen, what we recommend, and what to avoid. What separates us from the other 100,000 movie-related shows is that we're high school friends and have been discussing movies for 15 years. We love talking film and we'd be doing it even if no one was listening. I'm here today with uh, Brandon Bowlby. How's it going, Brandon? Hey, guys. So uh, This episode is going to be a little different. Uh, Brandon and I are going to talk about the movies we've seen in the month of July, and then we're going to review Ant-Man and the Wasp, and then at the end of the show, we're going to cut to a live, in-person, immediate reaction to the new Mission Impossible. Uh, We haven't seen Mission Impossible yet. We're recording this right now before that movie comes out, but... Yeah, Brandon's flying in from New York, and we're going to go see Mission Impossible together. So, right when the movie's over, we're all going to stuff into a car and uh, record our immediate reactions to the movie.
0: That's something I'm pretty excited about. <laughs> I think last time we did that was maybe last summer in my parents' trailer for, I forget what episode, it was like the June or July episode. Yeah, I think it was something in the spring, and...
1: We were doing the podcast a little bit different back then. We had a different sort of format, and mm-hmm. I think we are all... But this should be interesting because it'll be, like, literally our immediate
0: reaction. Oh, so yeah. In a car. I, One mic in the yeah. center. My laptop on my lap. It'll be great. Right. And the
1: reason we're recording this early and different than normal is because... So, Derek had a baby last month. And he's still on paternity leave with that. And I'm going to have a baby, or my wife is going to have a baby, literally any day now. And um, we just thought, hey, let's get the podcast out of the way. Let's record for the month of July. And uh, you know, just in case the baby comes on Thursday or Saturday or anyway, we're just getting it out of the way. So, Brandon, how's it going? How was your month of July?
0: My month of July was a little slower than June. I stepped it down a little bit. I think I saw seven uh, new movies. Went to the theater six times, um, which isn't any kind of a record for me. But I've also been doing some other fun things. Um, I was getting ready for the Mission Impossible 6 review that we're going to do next week. And I rewatched number four, which I had never seen before. And then I rewatched number five, which is a favorite of mine. And so that was very fun. Brandon, did I tell you that I watched the fourth Mission Impossible as well? Just the fourth? Um, yeah,
1: yeah. Ooh, I, I hadn't nice. seen, it, I hadn't seen it before. And oh. I, I,
0: yeah, I got from the library and watched it. Yeah, it was somehow the only Mission Impossible I haven't hadn't seen.
1: I still haven't seen three. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I had seen one, two, and five, and I went back and watched four. And I'm, I'm still hoping to see three. I, I, I think I'm going to really like three. But yeah, what, what did you think about Mission Impossible 4?
0: God, um, Brad Bird is like a master of pacing. And that movie like rolls so hard and has some of the best action scenes I've seen in a long time. And it's such a blast. But for me, uh, I think the fifth takes it. And I'm even more impressed with that one. And I think the fifth is my favorite, which is why I'm even more excited for the next one coming out, because it's the same director as the fifth.
1: Yeah. um, Yeah, I like the fourth one, too. What's the fourth one called? Is that one Ghost Protocol? Yeah, Ghost Protocol. Right. Yeah, I I enjoyed it a lot. I mean, some of those uh, action scenes were just like jaw dropping. I mean, You know, it it goes without saying. Like that scene where he's hanging on the side of the building and climbing on it is just—it's breathtaking. And he he runs along and like dives through the window. Like I'm watching it, and Shan's kind of you know not really paying attention, but she's watching it too. And she like stood up from the back of the room and like yelled at the TV. (laughs) Like, and she's not even like watching the movie, and she had such an intense reaction to it. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I mean, I think that. Like that to me is like a, you know, you know, a movie's good in my book when my wife isn't even watching it and she's screaming at the TV. So. Yeah.
0: The, uh, the like neon colored dust scene that happens right after that, that chase is fucking oh, right. gorgeous. Uh, my mouth was just hanging open for that whole thing. Yeah. And I, I really liked the end too, where they're in the carport. I thought
1: that set piece was really creative.
0: Yeah. So clever. Anyway, so I do have another thing that I'm also excited for, which is I'm kind of going through a lot of uh, New York City films. Um, I don't know why it came about, but it started with me turning on um, the Rick Burns New York City documentary, Eight Parter. I think it's like 16 hours long. And right now I'm six episodes in. And because of that, it also inspired me to rewatch Gangs of New York an iconic Martin Scorsese New York film. And then I also watched uh, Midnight Cowboy, which is best picture winning like 1969 uh, Dustin Hoffman film, which was also really good. Um, And then I'm looking forward with you guys next week to watching Once Upon a Time in America and kind of concluding, I guess, my New York month.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I I just watched Midnight Cowboy as well. Um, Yeah. I mean, that movie was something else. John Voight. John Voigt and Dustin Hoffman, what a what a duo! Yeah, um, yeah i I loved that movie up to a point. Um, it got far darker than I was expecting, and I, I was expecting to go dark, but I didn't realize the direction it was going to go dark in. You know, I didn't realize there was going to be so much about Dustin Hoffman and his like disability, yeah, and um, that and, was and poverty. Like that right. was it was pretty rough. I, I, think I, you know, I preferred the upbeat, optimistic first part of the movie with John Boyd in his cowboy gear, just eager to move to the city, and then the city just kind of tears him down.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it wasn't what I expected at all.
0: Yeah, how's uh, how's the month going for you?
1: Uh, it's going great. Um, I've been to the theater a, a few times. You know, I think I saw five or six movies. This was kind of a funny month for for me because. Um, there was a week there where I saw I saw four movies in the theater in one week in in July, which you know, that that's pretty Fun. that's like really good for me, yeah. So um, you know I I've, I'm eager to talk about talk talk with you about some of these movies. That was that was one of the reasons why I really wanted to make sure I could get on, you know the the July episode because man I was I had a pretty good month.
0: Well, let's hit it then.
1: Okay, so first I wanted to tell you about the movie Uncle Drew. Do you know about Uncle
0: Drew? I don't at all, actually.
1: Okay, so Uncle Drew was originally a sprite commercial, I think, and <sighs> uh, he was—he was basically like this movie shouldn't exist. Like this was a commercial where Kyrie Irving, who's a professional basketball player, like he's a all-star, he um, he got dressed up in old man makeup. And went to the local basketball court and, like, showed the youngsters how it was done. And it it was a commercial for Sprite. It was a long commercial, but it was a commercial. And uh, when I first saw the trailer for this movie, I was like, wait, is this actually a real movie? Or is this just an extended, you know, Sprite commercial before, you know, before the movie starts? Because I saw the trailer in the theaters. And... Um, turns out there was no, there were no sprite, um, there were no sprite drinks in the trailer, and uh, it turns out it was a real movie and. You know, this again, like like I said, like this movie shouldn't exist, let alone be a good movie. The thing is, Uncle Drew the movie isn't really a sprite commercial. I mean, yeah, sure, there's some product placement, but it's not like he's like, you know, dunking and drinking a sprite or anything like that. The movie's actually pretty good. I mean, I don't want to say it's like great or, you know, something that everyone should watch, but and yeah, there are a lot of problems with it, but it's much better than it should have been. It has a lot of really fun moments. There's uh you know the the other basketball players are all pretty good the basketball is fun Shaq is in it and he's really great uh, Nick Kroll has probably like the funn- the funnest scenes in it but I don't know, it's a it's a pretty good comedy I left the theater you know not really ex- after not really expecting much I was like yeah that was that was a really good time and it, I'm just it was one of those things where it was a pleasant surprise that it was much better than it ever should have been mm-hmm For sure. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, Uncle Drew, and it's still in some theaters right now. But um, yeah, it might be a rental
0: for me. So, I mean, uh,
1: honestly, Brandon, I don't think that you'll—I don't think that you'll like it at all. But (laughs) um, like, if you're if you're into sports or sport movies, it's like it's not bad.
0: Um. Okay. So the next film that I saw was Sicario: Day of the Soldado. Um, so, I'm actually a pretty big fan of Tyler Sheridan, and he's quickly becoming one of the most consistent writers in Hollywood right now. He's got Sicario, Hell or High Water, and Wind River all under his belt, which are like just flawlessly executed scripts, in my opinion. And I'm, I'm happy to say Sicario 2 or Sicario de the Soldado it was no different. If, if you're a fan of that, like super dry, serious and intense and kind of like meandering um thriller that he writes, you will you will also love this movie. Um granted, you know, it does not have Dennis Villanov or like the beautiful Roger Deacons shooting it, which is kind of the movie's downfall. But then again, neither did Heller High Water or Wind River. Like those movies weren't that flashy either. But they were just so like strong and serious and intense that it kind of pushed through any of the shortcomings that the first-time director had with it. Um, And it's kind of the same with Sicario. Like, there's some really creative stuff in here. It's not, like, a perfectly beautiful film like the first one was, but I felt like there was a lot to love, and I had my, like, hands still over my mouth, like, trying to breathe for much of the movie. And I also just love the way he writes and the way characters kind of just like move in and out of the story and they come or they go and you really have no idea what's coming next unlike a lot of other summer films you'll be watching so i respect that a lot out of this film
1: yeah um yeah i was definitely really interested in this movie i'm kind of bummed that i didn't see it before so we could talk about it on the podcast but you know it's uh i love the first one i think most people did and i i was kind of uh I was apprehensive about about the sequel just because I don't know it didn't have Emily Blunt in it and it didn't have the craft of you know Danny Villeneuve and Roger Deakins but how did, how does the movie hold up plot-wise cuz I don't know looking at the trailer I again I had a little apprehension just because like the first one ended with the kind of in my mind the conclusion that Benicio del Toro and Josh Brolin's characters were like awful people and uh this seemed like the second one it's like it's it's more of them does the movie go further down the rabbit hole
0: of nihilism um uh there's yeah there's much nihilism to be had for sure just like in all of his movies i think um it definitely tries to give each of them a little more depth to them um Still, I mean, they're they're saying like a sentence or two every five or se- or ten minutes, you know, the way these movies roll. So it's not like you're getting tons of character interaction, but it's it's a little bit, it's less subtle than the first one. So you do you do get more character moments, is what I'm saying. Well, as a sequel should it takes it takes these characters it takes concepts a little further.
1: Definitely. Um, yeah, so you. Yeah, so you go
0: further into the
1: Mexican cartel and uh, that world of yeah. corruption and uh, violence. Hundred percent. Cool. So that is Sicario: Day of the Soldado, and it's in some theaters right now. Otherwise, catch you on DVD when it comes out. So I saw the movie Tag. It's a comedy with Ed Holmes, Jake Johnson, Hannibal Buress, Isla Fisher, John Hamm, Jeremy Renner. Just uh, a lot of people uh, in it. And, damn. Right. Like, uh, you know, it was and, you know, that's really what was great about the movie. The The concept of the movie is that there's a game of tag that this childhood group of friends has been playing basically their whole life. They every month of May, they get together or they don't even get together. They just surprise each other and just play play tag. And Jeremy Renner just happens to be the best tag player of all time. And honestly, it's like watching Hawkeye play a game of tag. Like some of the moves and maneuvers he does, it's like it's like he's a superhero. He's just like dodging their hands and running up walls and doing backflips oh. and set and setting traps like they're in the woods and he has somehow managed to set traps for them where they're like they're like getting caught in big nets and falling into big holes and you know trees are falling on them like he's it's an elaborate yeah. game of tag in this movie and so we're you know, well was,
0: outside of the realm of reality and they're they're just having fun with this concept
1: then right oh that's cool right Right, it's it's very silly. Um, it's an over the top movie, and you know it. It was pretty fun. The cast is what really what kept it together for me. It wasn't a great movie. Um, I didn't really connect with the characters that much, but um, there was a lot of laughs. Just in in terms of like like earlier this year, we had Game Night that came out, and Game Night was just so much further like it was just such a better movie in terms of consistency of jokes and style of the movie. This movie was like, Oh, what would it be like if Hawkeye played a game of chat tag with John ham, you know? And, um, uh, you know, that's what you got. And, you know, it was a good time. I'd, I'd rent it and, you know, watch it with some friends, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, um, what it wasn't, it wasn't something that you could, that you need to see. So that movie's tag, Look forward if you're a fan of any of those actors.
0: All right. So another movie I saw was called Leave No Trace. Uh, this movie surprisingly has 100% on Rotten Tomato right now. And I no think shit. it's not going to move. It's one of the, like, I don't know, three movies or whatnot that are actually staying at 100%. And um, so this movie is directed by Deborah Grenick, who is the director of *Winter's Bone. If you saw it, it came out in 2010, actually quite a while ago, 10 years ago. Um, and it was Jennifer Lawrence's big breakout film, and it got a lot of like notoriety and recognition. And she has not made a movie since, I don't think. And so this is kind of her follow-up eight years later. Um, and again, it's like critically revered. So I went and checked it out. and um, While I'm not in love with this movie, I think it does a lot to like. It's one of those movies, again, where like um, it's so subtle and quiet and almost like Call Me By Your Name was last year, where you're just kind of watching the expressions on people's faces and everything is just as hyper real as possible. Um, but it's a really awesome, unique concept on kind of like these people who are living on the fringes of society and dealing with heavy PTSD And this really great father-daughter relationship. Um, It also takes place in the Pacific Northwest, which is pretty cool. Um, Takes place in like around the Portland and Seattle area. So I enjoyed that a lot. But yeah, it's a character study and it's a very quiet, small film. Um, What was that uh, movie Sean worked on like with Hugo Mortensen?
1: Captain Fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like a Captain Fantastic movie type movie if it like didn't have a single joke in it and it and it wasn't fun (laughs) yeah it's like you know these people living off the land in the deep woods in the northwest and it's fascinating and i get why people love it um i think i just wanted it was maybe just too subtle for me and i wanted a few moments that actually choked me up um or a few moments where my like heart swooned but Nothing like that ever really came. It didn't really ever give me that, so I kind of, like, didn't necessarily have as good of a time with it as I could. But, I mean, for me, it's still, like, a four-star movie. It's great. You should see it. Everyone should see it.
1: Yeah, um, it's that's a movie that I've I've almost gone to a few times and then just went and saw something else or whatever. But, yeah, I, I didn't realize I had 100% Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty wild. So um, I wanted to tell you about the movie don't worry he won't get far on foot so this movie is directed by Gus Van Sant who's kind of like a Pacific Northwest hero director yeah he's done like a he's done a few mainstream movies like goodwill hunting and milk but he's also yeah, done some totally. like really indie movies and he's he's a portland guy you know he's he's kind of local and um, this movie stars Joaquin Phoenix as a artist from Portland, Oregon. Um, he does like, uh, he's famous for cartoon cartoons. And they're, they're very simplistic and filled with irony and uh, slightly offensive humor. And he's basically like, he's an alcoholic. And the movie is, I mean, I jokingly said on Letterboxd that it's like Alcoholics Anonymous, the movie, the the hipster portland disabled edition. <laughs> Perfect. Because, you know, he he gets it's basically like exploring exploring his alcoholism and his his struggle with staying sober and he goes through AA and it it works and doesn't work, you know, he it's it's just that's the thing about addiction and, you know, alcoholism that's it's, it's very hard to stay sober and the movie takes a very real look at that. And, um, you know, I thought it was, I thought it was a very good movie. It was, um, very emotional, very real, you know, it was, it, you know, it turns out Walking Phoenix, like he might be the best actor working right now. Like I'm kind of, I was kind of racking my brain afterward to be like, who yeah. else do I get excited about every single movie he's in? And, um, you know, it's a, it's a short list, you know, it's, I mean, it helps that Walking Phoenix is not in that many movies, but man, every one of his movies is great. He's always really good. Totally. And, and you I just saw "You is, Were
0: Never Really Here" as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. We actually we went home and got "You Will You Were Never Really Here" from the Red Box um, and watched that afterward. And and that that's that's a better movie. That movie that movie might be one of the best movies I've seen this year.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like that was that yeah. was a that was a movie. Oh, but don't worry. He won't get far in foot was still, it was very, very good. And you know, it, it was a tough subject matter and they approached it with, you know, with, uh, with realism and understanding. <laughs> and, um, and the cast was pretty interesting. Jonah Hill is in it. Rooney Mar was in it. And Jack Black has a small role in it as well. Gupian sands made a lot of movies uh, since the you know 80s he's been putting out like you know my own private Idaho he, he's made a lot of movies and I would put this like in the upper tier of his movies like not it's not nearly as good as goodwill hunting or my own private Idaho but it's it's uh definitely in his upper
0: tier of his movies so mm-hmm. um, yeah I remember seeing trailers for it in theaters and it kind of it kind of flew past me. I didn't catch it. But Milk was one of my, my favorite movies in 08, and I don't follow Gus Sant as much as I should, so I'll definitely check this out.
1: That's Don't worry, he won't get far foot. That's in theaters right now.
0: Okay, so uh, another movie I saw was Three Identical Strangers. Uh, this is a documentary that is about uh, triplets, identical triplets, that were separated at birth and quickly find out at the beginning of the film that they all find each other uh, in the New England area about around their like college age years. And from there, it's one of those documentaries that just kind of keeps getting deeper and deeper and weirder and weirder as it goes, which are the best kind. I love it when that happens. And the further the documentary gets, kind of the more complex and bizarre the story that's being told is and so i really enjoyed it for that reason it's really gripping and it's really fun and it explores some kind of like fucked up things that um <laughs> the government was doing back then when they were born one thing that kind of really bugged me though is it like undercut itself in the final lines of the film And this seems to happen every once in a while. And it's always like really unfortunate when movies do that. But like it's going one way. And then at the very end, it like kind of throws you some like BS thing. That's like, no, like that's not what you were telling me this whole time. That's not what I should believe. And I was kind of mad at it for that reason. But other than that, um, and if you can critically think yourself, uh, the movie is still really fun and really interesting.
1: Yeah, that, that, that must be a crazy story. I don't know too much about it, but like that movie's getting a fair amount of buzz.
0: Yeah, it'll be a perfect Netflix watch, for sure.
1: So, I want to tell you guys about The First Purge. Not to be confused with Purge, the first, the first Purge that came out, but this is the fourth in the franchise. And it's called The First Purge because it's the first Purge that happens. I mean, anyway, I'm sorry. The... <laughs> I think the Purge franchise is pretty interesting. Have you seen any of the Purge movies? I've
0: seen none of them.
1: Okay. Well, it's a pretty interesting franchise because the first film was really low budget and it was one of those trapped in one location type movies. The second and third movies found a bigger scope with characters that were traveling across the city while the purge was happening. And they also kind of expanded the ideas a little bit. the, the franchise is famous for having like brutal violence and like anarchy scenes that kind of tap into your apocalyptic, you know, crave that you have. But it also has like a background of political corruption. And it, it, it has like some pretty blatant political ideas that it pushes. Um, Anyway, the first purge, I, I personally didn't like it as much as the other ones, and um, because it kind of it feels like it's not a misstep in the franchise, but it kind of feels necessary. Like it kind of hit, election year kind of hit a breaking point at the end, and it's it kind of was you had to go back. It just kind of made sense for the next purge after the third one to be like, hey, here's how the purge got started. But because of that, it kind of is about how it started out slow. You know, there there wasn't a lot of violence to get going. So if you're there for the violence, uh, it wasn't that sort of like, you know, uh, awesome, like cool violence stuff It that that wasn't really there for the first part of the movie. And the political stuff kind of was heightened as well. And, um, I mean, I, I I think that was too limited effectiveness. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of think that, you know, I don't think that, you know, in Trump's America, I don't think we're anywhere near a purge actually happening. I'm not saying that, but I do think that for some people, the, it was a little on the nose, And it wasn't, it, it, the movie stopped being like escapism, you know, it's not like Mm -hmm. a fun, you know, we're not going to the theater for a, a fun horror movie with violence. It's like, uh, yeah, no, this is, this is kind of uncomfortable. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I wanted to bring it up because I really do think the purge franchise is really interesting and, um, I know some people are liking it more than more than I did, but to me, this was one of the weaker films in the franchise.
0: Well, real quick, give me your power ranking. Go.
1: Um. Okay. I mean, honestly, I, I shouldn't because I haven't seen the first one. Uh, oh. <laughs> you know. So I mean, and the first one is the most different from what I understand. The first one is the one that's like, it's it's a pretty grounded movie and. I am either going to love that or hate it, you know. Like I've heard I've heard mixed things about the first one, but the consensus is that it's it is the the family is trapped in one place. Mm-hmm. But I think Anarchy is the best one, and then Election Year, and then The First Purge for the ones that I've seen. Okay, so, um, that's The First Purge. That's in theaters still right now. Um, what's your next movie?
0: So maybe my. Maybe my favorite film of the month so far has been a little movie called Eighth Grade. Uh, It's directed by the stand-up comedian slash YouTube sensation Bo Burnham, who has some really great Netflix specials um, on, on Netflix. You can go check them out anytime. So this is directorial debut, and it is so fun and exciting right from the get-go like the score in this movie is super vivid and I don't know if they turned it up just for the screening I was in but it was like blasting my ears off and as soon as it came on I was like grinning from ear to ear Uh, it follows like this eighth grade uh, girl and kind of is about her anxiety and it's a coming-of-age film and it kind of follows in the trend of all these great coming of age films we've had. I feel like since *Boyhood* came out, i have had quite a big handful of them. Um, but this is a—it's a different take because it's younger. Um, it's not the end of high school; it's the end of middle school, and you see like the inside of a generation and an age that you don't haven't seen on screen before, and that separates it from the rest. The movie just has so many great moments and it's really like as all coming of age films are, it's genuinely like heartfelt and in those like in the climax, it gives you just what you need. Um, It's incredibly well directed. The script is amazing. Like I don't know how they found this girl. She is such a good actor and the way she talks is beyond natural. She like puts all these pauses and ums and ands, but it's like purposeful, like it's actually in the script but she's doing it so well as if she's just like this completely shy eighth grader. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, I I really want to see this movie. I've heard nothing but
1: great things. Um, I will say that I'm the reason I haven't seen it is because it's, uh, it's only playing in one theater in Seattle so far and I know it's expanding uh, next week. So hopefully I'll be able to see it before baby comes, but Man, just just the concept. I have to admit I'm a little nervous about just because 8th grade is so awkward. I think back to middle school and I'm like, "Oh, is it is it going to be painfully awkward or is it going to be like really heartfelt and beautiful or is it going to be a mixture of all that?"
0: I won't spoil it. I'll just I'll just leave you think. <laughs> I'll just leave you wondering.
1: Well, I mean, it, it has to be awkward, but I mean, I'm also, it's got such great reviews. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's, you know, something that you got to see. Well, that's, that movie's eighth grade. Um, keep your eye open for it. Um, it should be expanding um, anytime now. Um, another film I wanted to bring up was Sorry to Bother You. It's the directorial debut of Boots Riley. It stars Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson and Army Hammer, and it's kind of a social. Uh, satire, um, about this guy who gets a job at a call center and he has to put on his white person voice in order to sell, um, the product. And, uh, he becomes amazing at it and he works his way up the corporate ladder. And then there's some pretty crazy intense twists in the movie. And, uh, this is actually something I would really like to talk about with spoilers, but we're not gonna do that right now. But, um... Yeah, I mean, this movie is oozing with style and um, ideas, and um, I mean, to me, it's something that like I don't know. It's a uh, Boots Riley is clearly like it's his directorial debut, and he's he's jumping into the scene with a big voice, and I'm um, I'm very eager to see what people think of this movie and uh, what boots Riley does next. And um, I want to see, I want to see this again because it was just, it was so much different than I thought it was going to be. And I, I I feel like it has a lot of, a lot of ideas and I I just, I just, I want to see this again.
0: Yeah. It's got, it's got so many ideas. You can tell this guy, did he write it as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. He wrote and directed it. He just sat there and contemplated every scene. It was like, how can I fill this to the rim with like something weird or twisted or some curveball or some camera angle? Like everything has something weird going on. Um, and this movie takes place like completely outside of reality in fiction, and even in the context of the story, there's like extra shit going on that's super fantastical. And like either they're imagining it or maybe they're not and it's just happening in the background but it's like every moment of this movie has like this little twist going on in the in the storyline it's super fascinating um it's pretty low budget but like this guy this guy has a vision and it's been a long time since i've seen a movie that is just this weird and this stylized and it was it was a blast watching it um it was more of a blast watching it than I than I did, like, felt afterwards. I don't necessarily know how much of an impact it had on me, maybe just because it was, like, too much, too quick. But, like, I've left the theater and I haven't necessarily thought about it all that much. And I would love to see it again. And maybe when I did, more things would click for me. But um, I still have a lot of respect for it.
1: Yeah, I mean... I thought that maybe not all of the ideas came together fully, you know, like it just, it was clearly his first movie is kind of the way I saw it. Like he, he's like, he's like an auteur, audit artist, you know, he's going full steam ahead and, you know, he's got all sorts of things going on with this movie. I just, um, I don't know, for me, it was like, it could have been four and a half stars, but I only gave it four because I'm not sure... Everything came together perfectly on it. But, um, yeah, I'm I'm eager to see it again because, I mean, first of all, it was really fun. But I also, I, I don't know. I just I want to see it knowing what's happening, I guess. It's one of those movies where I think a rewatch will, will help.
0: Yeah. Um. I'm really curious about how much this movie comes back later in the year and i mean we're already a little over halfway through but i'm really curious how much talk this gets um not as it won't have any talk at the oscars but like in critic lists or in you know just in the zeitgeist for end of the year list those are our
1: short reviews that we were going to talk about so now we're going to talk about ant-man and the wasp um brandon I kind of uh don't know where we should start here because i know um i have the positive take on it and you're gonna have the negative take on it yeah so so should i should i start with my general impressions
0: yes you should start especially since you rewatched the first one too and you kind of have a more complete picture
1: so yeah i i watched the first ant-man a little while back um, like just like two or three weeks ago, Shan hadn't seen it before. So we sat down pretty casually, just watched it. And, and I had so much fun with the first Ant-Man, like much more, much more fun than I had the first time I saw it. And the first time I saw it, I liked it, but, um, you know, it wasn't like, ho oh, oh, ho Ant-Man, you know, and I, it's just, the first one is just like constant jokes. It's just, uh, they're. All the whole cast is really funny and their characters are so well defined right from the get-go. And then I also just I loved the scale of it. I mean, I liked that it was a heist movie. You know, the so much of the MCU is is the whole universe is in jeopardy, the heroes have to save them. It was it was really cool and refreshing that Ant Man, the first one, was just it was it was a heist. They need to break in and get something and go about their day. Um, so, yeah, I was, I was looking forward to Ant-Man and the Wasp, and, um, I have to say, like, coming out of Infinity War, this was a really nice, um, this was a really nice change of pace. Like, Infinity War was so heavy, and so sad, and, you know, everything was a struggle in Infinity War. Ant-Man and the Wasp was, was just... It was just a fun time. Like it was just like, like it was just, yeah. It was just it was a good time at the movies. And I know I say that a lot, but like, man, I I really really just just enjoyed this movie. Um, I thought there were some structural problems, which we can again do later. I definitely thought that I don't know if it was necessarily overstuffed, but there were there were some problems with the climax and things coming together fully, but i loved where the movie started you know it started right after civil war it's really funny there's a lot of really really good uh really good jokes in the movie and um yeah i mean besides like the, some of the structural flaws like i thought i thought it was really great and i was i was pretty i was pretty engaged with all the action um i thought there were some really creative action sequences and with ant-man going small or uh the wasp going small and ant-man going big like i thought there were some really creative moments um yeah I, I really enjoyed this movie
0: yeah so i guess when it comes down to it the biggest problem i had with the movie is that i think well so we're gonna probably agree on a lot of the structural problems it sounds like we can we'll hash that out um but i also just didn't have fun with it like i I wasn't laughing. I, for whatever reason, Paul Rudd wasn't dropping like wasn't dropping jokes that I thought were that clever. Um, and there was there was a lot of like larger gags that I wasn't on board for, I guess. You know, like the the him in the school scene and him being small, like my theater was like cracking up about it. But I, I was having difficulties getting into it. And it was kind of just felt like over and over again. I I just wasn't laughing. That could have been my problem. But on top of that, I really disliked a lot of the villains in the movie. I thought it was the villains were super weak cr- incredibly, like maybe some of the worst Marvel has like has done. I mean, that's saying a lot. I don't remember the first phase of Marvel Universe, but the worst they've done in a while. With the three like burglars, the sale, the like arms dealers who just like had a couple guns, but for some reason they like were causing such like a problem and they couldn't just get rid of them i didn't understand what was going on there they seemed like the most petty thing that shouldn't even have been in the movie and it was really frustrating that they were like a cause to most of the like back and forth like chasing that was going on um when it comes down to it ant-man ends up just kind of growing big and flicking them with his finger and it's like yeah that's that's all you got to (laughs) do is flick them with your finger, and they're they're gone. Um, I don't know why you haven't done that yet. And it took well, them like an hour and a half to, to do it.
1: He's trying to say secret, right? <laughs> he, <laughs> Maybe, he can't what, do that I,
0: because he's, uh,
1: he's trying, he to trying to say, trying say to secret. secret.
0: I didn't get yeah, that out of the film. Maybe that was a big part of the first one that I forgot.
1: No, um, no, I mean like he literally wasn't supposed to leave his house. That was like the biggest plot point in the movie oh was like the first yeah. thing i said we well, like, talk couldn't...
0: about talk about that like yeah that was a weird all three villains so like if you count the fbi as a villain maybe you could help explain this to me um i would like to come back to the third villain but do you know why he was in house arrest like i know they mentioned that it was because the airport scene right from the yeah, avengers I mean, it's, it's just because civil of
1: war? what happened in captain america civil war like he he uh you know he joined captain america and he fought against iron man and uh, against the accords and um because of that um you know he's trying to like do his time so he can you know not be in jail the rest of his life in prison the rest of his life um Who i thought, thought that everybody was, like,
0: else what about all the other avengers
1: though um captain america is in hiding, hiding? like oh yeah he did go on yeah like they're all like uh they explained that you know uh hawkeye is also like he's also in trouble that's why we didn't see him in infinity war um uh, falcon is also in hiding like i don't know i thought it was i thought it was very clever because it was like it's
0: making more sense to me in my head i was thinking about there's repercussions no totally no no it's making more sense now I, i was thinking of like just coming off avengers 3 i'm like there's fucking superheroes everywhere like what's the big deal what's going on here and i kind of didn't place the timeline in my head correctly but you're explaining it now so that i wish i'd kind of known that <laughs> and the well that's why i love that's why i loved that joke and i loved that he was like paul Rudd's this
1: he's he's he wants to be a father you know he wants to you know do good for his daughter and so he wants to you know get get through this house arrest so he can just be a regular guy i don't know i think the biggest problem with the movie yeah is the is Is the three villains. Yeah. I mean, well, it's not even their mission. It's like, it's fine that they want to go into the, um, the micro universe, you know, like that's, that's a pretty cool, interesting plot. I think like that they want to go and try to save Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, like, I think that's a pretty like interesting concept. I think the problem is that there's like three different groups of people that are trying to chase after them. Like, I don't know what Lawrence Fishburne was doing in the movie, like at all, um like yes the,
0: oh yeah i had no idea what was
1: happening like the, was the ghost weird. the ghost character like like it just seemed like their whole conflict could have been talked out you know and that's like you know i hate it that it gave with me movies. super like,
0: batman versus superman vibes It was, yeah, was it's like, like you guys have the same solution here just like just figure it out real quick <laughs> stop yeah, like, like trying to murder each other
1: you don't need to be enemies right now. Just talk it out and like work together. And then like Walter Goggins, as much as I love him as an actor, like he's hilarious. It was like, what's he, you know, he does, he does this need to be here at all. I don't know. I just, yeah, that was very strange. Um, and that's what I mean by the structural problems. It's like, I don't know. It just, it just didn't need to be all of those characters probably could have been combined into one better villain.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I did like her little having. strobe effect that she had. Um, that was done decently well. But yeah, her whole backstory, like being found in like Argentina by Lawrence Fishburne. And it was just so shoehorned in that backstory and that she suddenly needed the exact same thing Paul Rudd did at the exact same time. So she wouldn't die. It was it was just like so much convenience for plot's sake and then the resolution on it was just mind like numbing convenience for for plot's sake.
1: Well, yeah, and I mean it, they right, they could have just talked it out. They could have just figured it out, I don't know. It
0: didn't need And then need they to just be... they just solve the problem in like this, literally almost the snap of a finger. It's like Right. <laughs> yeah, like
1: the I w- I would agree that the villains are the are the big problem with the movie, but I, I, I'm like, I'm like pretty bewildered that you didn't think this movie was like fun and funny. Like I thought, I thought it was like very consistently like good jokes, like clever jokes. Like I've, like the day after I saw the movie, I went to work and was just telling Cal about some of the works, my coworker. And he was just like, he was just laughing and laughing, you know? And that wasn't even like, that was me, my unfunny self. Like, you know, just like reiterating what happened in the movie. <laughs> And uh, I don't know. I thought this movie was like downright hilarious,
0: and and like yeah, I thought some of the action was like really great too. Like yeah, um, let's let's go over that part of it. I'm curious what you what what some of the action stood out for you.
1: Like that scene where the wasp was fighting in the kitchen. And she, mm-hmm. they were trying to, they're all throwing punches or throwing knives or whatever. And she was like going small and then moving real quick and then going big and hitting the guy, you know, and she would do that a bunch. And it was, it was reminiscent of like X2 with Nightcrawler and like, it was yeah. really good. And they, you know, she'd get small, and then they'd be trying to hit her, and you know, a huge thing would be coming right at her, and she'd move out of the way. Like I thought that was really well done. And then, you know, the the joke of like, you know, throwing the salt shaker and having that blow up real big. I mean, all like that was in the trailer, which is kind of a bummer that that they spoil you know action scenes like that. But you know, I thought that was like a really well done scene. I was totally engaged.
0: So for me, like that that was fine. I think it suffered from a lot of what all the Marvel action movies suffer from is like, you know, quick cuts and kind of confusing editing. And I don't think they necessarily got across all her little tricks she was doing very clearly on that table. I don't know what she like squirted mustard at one point or did some other little thing with a frying pan. But I was kind of let down with how little action the movie had for an action movie and what like little clever settings they put their characters in in order to like deliver the action which like thinking back on it it was that one scene and then the climax and the climax was so cluttered with like bad villains it was hard to like really care and even the climax just kind of took like place on the streets i i didn't necessarily get like A well thought out, well conceived, unique set piece that I would have looked for in an action movie, and that was kind of frustrating. I
1: don't know, man. I don't think, I don't think I'm ever gonna get tired of Giant Man, though. Like when Ant Man gets big, like I don't think I'm ever gonna get tired of that. That that gag, that like how he moves as Giant Man is so much fun, and it's it's like clumsy but powerful and like we don't get that anywhere else that's
0: like riding that's the pretty, truck that's, like a toy
1: yeah like that's that's pretty unique like all of that is like pretty unique like even like like Pacific Rim is like in that same kind of you know realm but uh, Giant Man's different like he's it's a very unique style of movement that he has and I, I like I don't know if I'll ever I'll ever tire of that like uh, I thought that Climax is really really fun and yeah like we've we've had boat stuff before but like like i would say the action in this movie was better than spider-man homecoming
0: hmm yeah spider-man homecoming the action wasn't too good either but i had there were so many other things that were that were really clever about it that made up for it yeah um, um. I. it's hard to defend it i don't know if i'd necessarily say the action in this movie was better but they both to me were, yeah, a little lackluster. I don't know.
1: I, I definitely didn't think this was one of the best uh one of the best Marvel movies. Like I put it I I put it at number fourteen. <laughs> so fourteen okay. out of twenty. Okay. But like that's I put it. So above. it's like right
0: above the ones that are actually to you bad.
1: Well, I gave it I gave it three stars. You know, so hmm. like there was mm-hmm. enough in it. There was enough in Ant-Man the Wasp that kept me totally engaged, interested, kept me laughing. It was like more of the MCU. Like, it was good stuff in the MCU. Like, I I left with a net positive, like, by far. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, the only movies I had underneath Ant-Man the Wasp were, like, Doctor Strange, Iron Man 2, the first Captain America, the first Thor, the second Thor, Incredible Hulk, you know? But... Yeah, like uh overall I had a I had it as a net positive. hmm I still think you're crazy for giving this movie one and a half stars though. Like I I
0: feel like you missed something. <laughs> I think maybe what I, I really could have feel like was you missed something. Rewatching the first one.
1: Uh yeah, I don't know, man. So that was our review of Ant Man the Wasp. I thought it was pretty good. Brandon did not. That's still in theaters right now. So looking ahead to the month of August, uh, August is
0: kind of a slow month. So Brandon, what's your, what are you looking forward to the month of August? movie I think I'm most excited for is a film called The Meg, which I don't even know who's doing it, but it's Jason Statham is the lead in it. And it's basically snakes on a plane, but with sharks And it's going to be just a whole crazy cheese fest action film. And I'm going to try to go see it like opening Friday. So I get that great theater experience. And um, I'm looking forward to Jason Statham saying the Megalodon. And it's going to be awesome.
1: Great. Um, Yeah. That movie looks like a blast Um, like Jaws or Deep Deep Blue Sea, but on the most steroids ever. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to Black Klansman. It's the new Spike Lee joint, and um, it it looks pretty pretty good. You know, it's you know Spike Lee doesn't always get you know he doesn't always come out with the best movies, but this one this one's getting some good buzz. I don't know. It looks looks very interesting. It's about this this guy this black guy who goes under who goes uh, undercover as i guess over the phone he's like uh, infiltrates the kkk and then adam driver's character um is like his body going into the kkk and they are kind of trying to take him down or something i'm not totally sure but it looks like it looks like a movie that's that
0: gathering l- intel
1: right yeah the, it looks like it has a lot of style and a lot of humor too the trailer is really flashy and engaging so yeah i'm i'm really excited about black man i'm uh, I'm hoping that I'm hoping that Spike Lee delivers with this one. Cool. Yeah, so that's what we're looking forward to the month of August. Um, so now we're going to cut to us live in a car reviewing Mission Impossible Fallout.
0: Yeah. Let's see how it goes. Well, we're recording. Should I do an intro? Hello. Hello. Hey. Should I narrate it? If you want. It. If um, you want me? Hey. Uh, mm-hmm. right? okay. <laughs> oh so <laughs> um. All right. So we're in we're in a car. We just saw Mission Impossible Six in theaters. Mm-hmm. Nick Moffat wasn't able to join us, unfortunately. But fortunately, it's because he is currently in the hospital, um, having a baby at any moment. So yeah, yeah. It's just Derek and I, and. Maybe Kelly, if she decides to talk as well. <laughs> um, so, Derek. Yeah. Uh, rank all the Mission Impossible films oh, from best to worst, or worst to best. Wait, worst to best. Worst to best. Okay, build it up.
2: All right. Worst, it's a Mission Impossible 2, and then Mission Impossible 3, Ooh.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: then... Everything else is so close, but I'm gonna say even after like I just rewatched rogue nation I liked it a lot, but I'm still gonna say then probably rogue nation Mm -hmm. Then mission impossible. Wait, I'm three in (laughs) then mission impossible one and Then ghost protocol and then fallout. I think fallout was probably the best Um. Fuck (laughs) yeah Oh
0: yeah, about the same. I'd say I don't know one as much, but I'd say maybe two, three, one, four, five, six.
2: Mm.
0: Like <laughs> yeah, I, I need to re-see one again, but <laughs> yeah. it's kind of crazy that just three, four, five, six in my head are just like all oh, a right. tier getting better and better.
2: I mean, like the last three have been like just incredible. All three of them have been amazing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it makes sense. I feel like three kind of put, like, the movies in this different trajectory. And they've just been getting better and better. But I'm really excited. Like, Christopher McQuarrie, I feel like him and Tom Cruise, like, their collaboration is just so perfect for what this franchise should be. Mm -hmm. Like, I just want... I would love for those... Like, him like I would love for him just to keep making these movies and just keep like oh yeah crazy Tom Cruise like <laughs> doing this crazy stuff as long as he can and uh, just the I, two of them collaborating I wish
0: and, they um, had found this collaboration like because they spaced out so many of the other ones so much yeah. further apart yeah. and the last two we got or 5 and 6 we got much closer yeah. than the rest before that mm-hmm. I wish they had like found this groove way earlier cuz Tom Cruise is Fifty-seven, yeah, fifty-six, something. Even though you can't tell, Good. like he's like immortal. he's still like killing it. But though. I don't know how they could keep going. Because by the time then, if they ke- if they keep going, the time the next movie comes out, he's almost gonna be sixty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what if he's sixty and he's like just as impressive though? Like you just keep going. Like if you're Tom Cruise, you just go until like you're killing yourself, right? <laughs> It seems like it. Like, he seems like that kind of guy. Like, it almost seems like it's his mission now is just to, like, continually, like, show that he's the only... He's the guy in Hollywood that's going to be making these kind of movies. And there's there's no one else to go, like... Like, I can't think of another action star that... Well, honestly, I can't think of another action star that's going to sell a movie. Yeah. Like... And not only, like, is there no one else that's going to sell a movie, but even if there was, like, it would be hard to top, like, the stuff he's doing.
0: They found the perfect mix of, I think, like, live stunts, action, comedy, and drama you actually have to pay attention to. Yeah. And I don't think anybody else
2: is even coming close to doing that Right. right now on this scale i mean like the closest comparison i feel like would be fast and furious i know you're not big have you seen them all yeah you caught up yes like they do like the thing that i dislike about fast and furious is that well i don't know if i dislike it but i feel like they've grown so big that like the stuff they're doing is impossible to film like live action right you know like right. submarines they're breaking even, through and like like that's impossible yeah there's no it's fiction but the stuff but they still do crazy uh in-camera work too mm. like in fast six or whatever when they're tossing cars out of plane they're actually tossing cars out of the plane Oh, right. and so i mean i guess that would be the runner-up but um as far as like the quality of the film, the acting and the writing. I don't think they come anywhere near touching what Mission Impossible is doing.
0: I'm I'm kind of happy honestly that they're going away from the JJ Abrams and Brad Bird everything's a joke. Yeah. Because I feel like we have so much of that in other action films, mostly mm-hmm. the Marvel universe. Yeah. Right now, we're just nothing is seriously, everything is for laughs and even when like drama's happening like there's someone Some, like, little quibs going on at all times. I think, and that's what Brad Bird kind of did with this film, and it was great, but I like this direction where you're still laughing, like, every 15 minutes. Yeah. But it's not every 20 seconds. Yeah. Like a lot of other movies are doing right now. And it takes itself halfway more seriously.
2: Yeah. I think Rogue Nation was really good, like, palate cleanser. Like, for me, I guess that's just, like ghost protocol was such a high and yeah it was so much fun it's so funny like it's a comedy yeah and the stunts were so big and then rogue nation kind of took a right turn and the stunts were just as big and the story was just as interesting maybe more but yeah they got rid of a lot of the humor and that kind of like it left a bad taste in my mouth but now watching this and i feel like fully realizing the potential of um going that direction like like separating themselves from the other action movies that are out there right now Mm -hmm. on top of all those like amazing stunts and um yeah i'm kind of
0: getting tired of like constant snark yeah
2: everybody yeah no i mean it felt yeah it felt refreshing
0: actually in this what was that scene i remember we were both cracking up towards the end well, when, the he, when he appears in the helicopter well it's just he, like
2: thinking from the guy in the helicopter's perspective they've been <laughs> flying for like 10 minutes and then all of a sudden tom cruise like pops in the doorway They, <laughs> they like, lingered on his reaction he doesn't even so have a like he like is this army guy that's like meant to you know shoot anyone that's like coming but like he's so caught off guard <laughs> He just, like, stares at him for, like, 15 seconds. Yeah, that was great. There's a few other of those really good moments in yeah. it, too. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's part of what, like, I like about Ghost Protocol, too, is, like, I think Tom Cruise is really, like, has great comedic timing. And so when they do bring those moments up in this movie, it works really great, especially because he's so intense throughout the rest of the movie. Like, I love that scene in the ba- after the bathroom fight, the amazing bathroom fight. Um... She's uh, Rebecca Ferguson's. Like you don't know what you've got yourself wrapped up in. And he's just like, I, I don't know what I got myself oh, right. wrapped up in. What? She came out what, of nowhere. What, what, what did I get myself wrapped up in? <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think yeah. I think this movie had the the perfect blend. hmm I also think they amped the action up a notch, God. and I think that like action can kind of replace like that comp like it it serves a similar purpose like it gives you that thrill of what you have enjoyment and like being excited so it breaks breaks up the drama a lot better i think than they did with rogue nation mm-hmm. just constant set pieces
0: there and, was so many the, this movie the pace of this movie was basically like massive action sequence that was just jaw droppingly amazing and then cut straight to them explaining what's going to happen next. Yeah. In like some kind of situation and then they would like provide a twist right before jumping into the next massive action set piece. Yeah. And I, I there was another thing that they did that I thought was kind of calling back to um, number four with Brad Bird's scenes where like the action just keeps going and going Mm -hmm. and then right when you think they're like it's over it moves like seamlessly into a next massive thing yeah that like the chase sequence they had in Paris Uh. lasted like 25 minutes long (laughs) and it just like kept like turning and turning there'd be a little break of like a minute Mm -hmm. and then the next thing would pick up again and that kind of really reminded me of when they were like, you know, meeting in the room yeah, and, the Bridge Khalifa, uh, yeah, Bridge Khalifa, yeah, Bridge Khalifa meeting the room, climbing the wall to the server room and then going straight into like the desert storm sequence immediately yeah. after yeah. and just like, you keep it going like that. And that's pretty impressive.
2: That Paris action scene is like the quintessential action scene. I feel like it's so perfectly done. And there's a twist in the middle of it, mm-hmm. and, like, there's a solid build-up to it. You remind me a lot of the Dark Knight, um, the Joker trying to get um, trying to get out. Harvey Dent. You remember that scene? Like, pretty much, the Joker has, like, everything, like, set up, so they're trying to transport Harvey Dent, and the Joker basically the, um, bombards the Convoy. Oh, right, Floyd.
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And it's just, like, one of those scenes where, like, they have the full uh, in Mission Impossible. Like, they have the whole build-up, and we know what's coming. And they, like, let it sit and linger for a while, so you build up your anticipation. Mm-hmm. And, like, everything's beautifully shot, of course. The- and then, like you said, then, like, twist, boom, we jump into the action scene before you even have time to, like, recover from, like... Yeah, we just happened? they like, oh shit. And, and yeah. even in the
0: middle, they find these perfect beats. Um, even when you are calming down, like the, the cop finding them. Yeah. Like about to stuff the guy in the hood into the car. Yeah. And like it calms down for a second, but it's still intense, almost funny. Yeah. And then as soon as they, like, get out of that situation, picks up again, the music picks up. Yeah. But, like, you... It flows so well. Yeah, for even sure. Even within those 25-minute action scenes.
2: I want to say between this and Rogue Nation, I think besides Christopher McCoy just having a knack for, like, great action and, like, visually, like, good-looking action. Mm-hmm. I know, like, there's a quote of him, like, his two rules for action is clarity and geography and i thought that was really interesting but um what was i gonna say oh yeah he has a knack for somehow working in like character beats in a movie where they don't really matter like we don't need the amount of character development he's actually been building into these last two movies especially with uh, rebecca ferguson's character and in this one, I'd say a lot more with Ethan Hunt, too. There's actually, like, this is the first movie I feel like we kind of start to understand, like, his morals and... Yeah, actually, like yeah, that was a good point. How he views his job, like, how important it is to him and, mm-hmm. like, his life and to people around him. Him
0: saving his friend at the beginning. And yeah. Like, sacrifice that, and then they kind of wrapped it up really nicely at the end. Yeah. Where, why that's the, why they need an agency like that. right. Um, There's this one character moment that was, like, so small and quick, it's already, like, escaping my memory, but it was towards the beginning, right when they pick up Rebecca Ferguson's character, whatever she's called. Yeah, Isla, They're Isla. both Isla. in a car together at night, like, turning a corner, mm-hmm. and it shows them, it cuts to them inside the car for, like, a second, and she gives this, like, interesting look mm-hmm. to the camera, and then it, it shows, like, her and Tom Cruise for literally, like, half a second each mm. and then it cuts away but like it told you like so much about what they were feeling in that situation yeah when i see it a second time i'll be able to pinpoint on it i just remember remembering right when i saw that shot i was like holy shit i can't <laughs> believe they knew to put those two shots in there yeah. right before they moved on to
2: the next scene right but yeah there was a lot of good like looks that told a lot yeah i think this movie benefited a lot from being know Kelly, you were saying you didn't see Rogue Nation, right? No, but I didn't. <laughs> this was, like, the first direct sequel in the series. You very much picked up, yeah. you know, I think they say, like, two years or something. Yeah. But it's a direct continuation of the story in Rogue yeah, Nation. Yeah, and the
0: villain, too, not just, like, yeah. the, the two female characters that keep coming
2: back yeah. in his life. But even the villain, too. Yeah, is the villain important. from Rogue Nation yeah. is the guy he down. And
0: they're even, like, referring to the, like, syndicate that's dismembered but still out there. Yeah. Um, yeah, there was a lot connected to the last film.
2: Yeah. I really, I really hope we'll at least get a Christopher McQuarrie trilogy out of this, after yeah. watching this movie.
0: His character... Is he in any other... Like, what other movies is he in? Because he... His
2: voice—it's just
0: so perfect and raspy and creepy. Yeah,
2: it almost like on the trailer, like I thought it was kind of silly because it—I forgot that he, when I saw this trailer, I forgot he was the villain in Rogue Nation. And yeah, so I watched this trailer. and He's like that guy has like the most, like they—they're like like go as sinister and like weak as you possibly can. He <laughs> came up with that voice, but then I realized. Then I saw. I rewatched Rogue Nation. I totally forgot that. It, that was the character. I was like, maybe this is just that guy. It's just how he sounds.
0: Yeah, I wonder what other just movies just has he's that in.
2: specific, like...
0: He's a really good actor.
2: No, and, he's great. And he, yeah, he fits the villain role so perfectly. Also, I want to say, like, everyone kind of stepped up, and it looked like everyone was doing a lot of their own stunts. Definitely Henry Cavill was flying around in that helicopter, like, hanging out the side.
0: Yeah. Yeah, everyone's, like, praising Tom Cruise, yeah. and I was seeing a lot of things where um, I wonder if things will come out now about, like, the making of some of the other, the other sets that he wasn't in. Yeah. Um, though, who's the guy, the 30 Rock guy? Oh, Alec Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, Alec Baldwin's little mini action scene. I was like... Yeah. I was like, they're definitely cutting away. Like, how old is Alec
2: Baldwin? At this point, like, 75. <laughs> He's, like, punching people. I was like, eh. Yeah. It was really know. dark exactly actually trying anyone. to get away from it. Yeah. Um, uh, so... They got out of that pretty well, though. Yeah. I mean, they made it work.
0: So with some of the action scenes, there was... Towards the end, right when you... you like, the movie's feeling, like, long, mm. and there's, like couple action scenes in a row that were much less than the other ones that yeah. like again they were in the dark you couldn't see as much yeah it was more guns than like obvious stunts mm-hmm. and like that tom cruise run sequence that kind of went on for a long time for yeah. parkour which is pretty <laughs> cinematic but it didn't really like lead to much right and i was kind of getting worried because the last movie ended on a really personal chase sequence like right. one-on-one for yeah. their climax yeah and a twist Mm-hmm. And after seeing those action scenes that weren't impressing me that much towards the end, mm-hmm. I was kind of worried how, where it was going. Okay. And then it was like, cut to, you know, brand new location, brand new problem. Right. Clearly it was leading up to something. And when it finally got to, well, I can't say it. When it the finally got to act that, that final scene. act action scene. And when you finally realized what it was and it and it went
2: down, like my jaw was dropped. It's pretty insane will say we didn't see it on imax but i can't even imagine like that scene on imax which i can almost guarantee is probably filmed in imax it's probably the fi- i know the like,
0: final scene yeah the final scene was imax you're saying a lot of the action scenes were in imax they, right.
2: they claimed that they film most of the action scenes in imax yeah i
0: don't know that theater was almost but, imax i know
2: but yeah it's like that's why i've, I've been going there because like you know it's almost not worth it to go to like spend all the time to drive to like a nice IMAX theater when that theater's right there. Yeah, when that theater's so good and movie passable. Is it movie passable? Uh, no. Oh damn. It is AMC a listable. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, no, I've been just spending the extra money to go there. But
0: I oh, want. Should uh, we talk
2: about a few gripes?
0: I'm sure. If we're kind of getting to the end. Um, so a couple gripes that I had amongst this pretty incredible movie was. The lead in to the third act. And I said earlier how much like expositions in this movie. Yeah. It's kind of like a problem with a lot of the Mission Impossible movies because they do so many twists. Mm-hmm. In order to keep you up with the twists, there's a lot of people just saying shit. Right. And they're in the Synian Circle saying shit. Right. But there's one particular one that was so bad. It was when they were all in the Jeep together in the um uh
2: what is it, China? What, oh yeah, they're driving through the hills.
0: Yeah, when they're driving yeah, through yeah. the hills in the third act, and it was like cashmere. green cashmere. It was green screen all around them, and they were just clarifying things <laughs> over and over and over again. And that scene looked like they it looked like they filmed it like later. Like they, someone was like, I don't really understand what happens. So like shit, we got to go back and refilm something. Right. And they like shoehorned this like five minutes of exposition of yeah. them in a car. That whole train. It should have been more like them in a plane traveling there because it was kind of a weird teleportation they did.
2: Yeah. I don't know why they were They kind of have to, though. They travel so much. Like, there'd be so much time spent in planes if they were going to show us all that.
0: For some reason, that one was so bad, I was actually cringing. Really? And in comparison, to the others like I totally accepted and was fine. It's like, with.
2: like it's mostly Benji talking, right? Is that the one? Yeah, it's Benji about? talking about. Yeah, yeah. He
0: finally figured out his idea. Yeah, and he's yeah, just yeah. like explaining his iPad, <laughs> and then the girl in the front is like, "Wait, so she's literally like, so just to be clear, yeah. and then repeats everything <laughs> Simon Pegg said." I was like, "What is it's happening
2: right now?" And
0: the green screen behind them of, like,
2: them going through those, like, rolling hills was really cheesy. That's interesting. I wonder if that was, like, a studio, like, yeah, thing. Everything like, else is like, so oh, on location. What is happening? Can you add, like, a scene here that just explains it? Like <laughs> I would have wished that they were just, like, Simon Pegg
0: knew nuclear bombs really well and right. they were just going to execute his plan from the beginning. Right. Not like he needed to figure it out. The
2: time. Yeah, like, with Ethan, Ethan never explains anything. Especially in this movie, his, li- his line is always, "I'll figure it out. I'll yeah. figure it out." <laughs> so many times, <laughs> so actually. many times, which I kind of like. Like, don't explain. It. We don't want to know. Like, we want to be surprised with what's about to happen. Yeah. And, I mean, I guess when we, if they were to jump into just defusing bombs and just like not talking about it, I don't know. Like, maybe it doesn't work as well, but. Um, i don't know that's it's it's hard for me especially right after seeing a really good movie to find qualms because then i have to like come down from this high like intentionally to to, like sour my mood yeah (laughs) so i don't really have a lot of like (laughs) negative things to say about it like the running scene i will say is long but i couldn't help like i was like laughing a lot of it first of all it's kind of funny yeah But also, I could not stop thinking about, I saw like a YouTube video and it was uh, a theory about the more running time, like actual, like physically running that Tom Cruise spends in a movie, the higher it's rotten, rotten tomato percentage is. (laughs) 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 And that scene was running for so long and I was like, this is his highest rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes right now.
0: So I like, (laughs) like, I just went on a run this morning. and when I was watching that scene, I was just thinking in my head, like, how many miles is has he traveled yeah. in just this one scene alone? He's just sprinting as fast as he can yeah. for probably, like, ten minutes straight, which almost, like, no human
2: yeah. can really do. <laughs> he's, he's like... God, Tom Cruise running is just so great. Like, it's just so, so visually great. That's all we need. It's so intense. He's, like, and he's running so freaking fast. Like, it doesn't even look, it looks CGI half the time. Yeah. Like, just how he runs, I don't know what it is about it. And, yes, yeah, so after, like, five minutes of him running, you're like, holy shit, he's still running. He's, like, the fastest man in the world still after all this. through jumping from building to building through windows. So And he actually break, broke his foot. In the middle of that run in real life too. Oh, that run. Yeah, and they oh, use shit. that take. The one where he, um, not when he jumps out of the window, but when he jumps between buildings and barely makes it. That's when that he was broke the his foot take off. that he broke his. Because he
0: was on. jumping. will you see actually jumping between buildings.
2: Yeah, and when he climbs up, you see he limps off the camera. Oh right, right. I know. I remember. And that they shot. left that in the movie. <laughs> Holy shit. And then. And then obviously, once he was healed, the next scene, he's flat out sprinting again. Yeah. <laughs> or the next shot. Um, Qualms? I don't know. Yeah, I guess, like, they, I think, I do think the movie is a little long. So long? Like, it's hard. Almost I, two hours and 30 minutes. It's hard for me to say what, what they should have cut out. I kind of feel like maybe the first act was the worst, the slowest. Um there wasn't a lot that happened. But I do I do kind of appreciate the slow start at the same time. Because Rogue Nation starts with the best set piece, I think, which is his crazy plane stunt. Yeah. And that's how the movie starts out. So you're like excited, and then it jumps into the boring stuff. Yeah. And you kind of lose. And so this movie started with the boring stuff, got it out of the way, and then it's just pretty much nonstop action until the end of the movie. I looked at my watch. Not that I'd never leave my phone on, but
0: I do leave my watch. Like yeah. I have a watch, and I, like, looked at it real quick right when the credit, like, the Mission Impossible credit thing started. I mm-hmm. was 20 minutes into the film.
2: Yeah. <laughs> like, that was a
0: long, cold open. Yeah. And they could have, I think they could have definitely cut down on that. Because you think you're, at one point, I was like, wait, had we already seen the credits? So I was waiting for them to happen. Yeah. Like, when's the transition? Oh, no, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> and we're, like, already a third of the way through the movie. Yeah. So that was kind
2: of weird. I can't get... This franchise has the best theme song. I can't get it out. It's like constantly playing in my head right now. Just in the background of me yeah. talking. <laughs> There's just the themes
0: When did the first Whatever. one come out?
2: Early. Ninety six, I think. Oh, Jesus Christ. But
0: yeah. so I'm dying in this car.
2: Yeah, it's like hundred degrees <laughs> in here. But overall I, I really,
0: really like I say it. we quickly just give our uh, letterbox
2: rating that we may oh, okay. give it. I mean I'm honestly I'm probably I kinda have to give it five stars. Ghost Protocol, I gave four and a half. And I think that this movie's better. And I think, despite its, like, flaws, I think that they're very forgivable for what the franchise is and, and how creative and awesome they're doing with it. Mm-hmm. Like I can easily forgive it, like those little problems that I had with the movie. Yeah. I'll probably give it a five star. Damn, I'm not gonna yeah. quite. I'm not gonna. A lot of people have been saying it's like it's the best action movie since like Fury Road. I don't think it like even touches Fury Road, but it's right. It's an awesome movie, and I think it's like a, gonna be a classic to rewatch down the road.
0: I'd say because of some of the skill of what they're actually doing in those action sequences and how well some of those twists are actually, like, coordinated throughout the middle of the movie, mm-hmm. it, it might go up to, like, four and a half yeah. stars for me. Though it'll be interesting to how I could, I'll i end up comparing that to, like, actual amazing dramas later right. on in the year when I put well, them side by side. Is there
2: any chance that it'll break your top ten?
0: So far, man, there hasn't been like a straight action movie besides Fury Road in a long time like that. Uh, yeah, it'll be because there, yeah, because there are amateur things that happen just because it's like has that summer blockbustery yeah. throughout it.
2: Yeah,
0: but there's also so many highs. Right. I guess we'll see. Kelly, <laughs> quickly, how many stars would you give it out of five on Letterboxd?
2: I don't know.
0: We <laughs> can you even I, cut them. I you think feel it's like... above.
2: <laughs> Like I feel like I average? really needed—I really needed to see the last one. Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. to give it a fair. All right. Fair. Well, you should watch *Rogue Nation*. I it's also pretty good. Yeah. So. I will do that. Um, all, right. all right. Cool.
0: Thanks, guys.